Hello, Marvelites. You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 528. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink, agent of holiday cheer and spiders. Yeah, so if everybody doesn't know, Lorraine takes spiders, she glues them to Mm -hmm. candy canes, and she stabs Mm -hmm. all evildoers in the eyes with them so that they walk around with candy canes and spiders coming out of their eyes. Picture that. Happy holidays. Goodbye. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like Buffy the Holiday Grinch Slayer. That's actually a good idea. Call me, TV people. (laughs) We're not just giving out free ideas here on This Week in Marvel. We're here to talk about all that's happening this week in Marvel, whether it's games, comics, movies, TV, whatever we're excited about. I'm very excited because it's a week. Oh, Spider-Man's Mr. Spitterman is working overtime in his Spitterman office making all the spitters happen. It's extremely exciting. We are one week away from the release of Spider-Man No Way Home. I hope everybody has their tickets. Get ready, get hyped. And with that, we got new posters for the film Spider-Man No Way Home that teased returning villains. We saw Doc Ock and Electro and Green Goblin, and it's pretty dang cool. You know, if you saw the last trailer, you saw hints of them but now it's like full front and center here are the posters here who's you're gonna see in the film get ready feast your eyeballs on it open up and say ah your eyes don't make sounds or at least mine don't but this isn't about mouth eyes everyone go see spider-man no way home only in theaters on december 17th what a happy holiday season oh Mm. also the spider-man across the spider-verse part one trailer is here it was very exciting because I blissfully was on vacation and had no idea it was coming out. Mm -hmm. And it's revealed that Miles Morales is going to return. He's hanging out in his uh, bedroom when Gwen Stacy pops up and there's Spider-Verse goodness. I don't don't want to spoil it. Just go watch the trailer because that is where the sweet juice is. It is looking great. I'm so excited to see a little bit more grown-up Miles Morales. And it's Part one, which is spicy because we know there might be more than one part. Yeah. Exclusively in movie theaters, October 2022, we did get to see a hint of Miguel O'Hara, a.k.a. Spider-Man 2099 in there, Mm -hmm. which is super hype. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. This was released as part of the huge convention in Brazil that happens Mm -hmm. every December, which is called CCXP. It's actually five years since I went. And... They always release something cool. And so on top of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, there was also a clip from the Morbius film, which is coming out in January. Massive hype, massive excitement. Everybody went with their mouth eyes. Oh, my gosh. The Spider-Men's keep coming. So Marvel's Spider-Man Miles Morales Ultimate Edition is available now. You can also web sling through the city in Marvel Spider-Man Remastered. The remastered includes the PS5 enhanced remaster of the hit original game and story, as well as three Marvel Spider-Man City That Never Sleeps DLC chapters. And you can get two new suits inspired by the film Spider-Man No Way Home. So that's a whole lot of goodness. I guess that's why they call it the Ultimate Edition. I love that the teams at Insomniac Games and Marvel Games keep adding content to mm-hmm. the Marvel Spider-Man. Yeah. Like these two new suits inspired by the new film. It's a gift that keeps on giving. And, Heck yeah. Oh, man. So good. If y'all have never played these, now is a perfect time. Jump right in. And speaking of jumping, now you can do some jumping and web swinging 
in Fortnite because Spider-Man is joining Fortnite. Spidey was introduced last weekend as the game transitioned into its Chapter 3 Season 1, and there's new mechanics that Spider-Man brings to the game. So, you know, you can slide, you can swing to imitate Spider-Man's movements, and starting December 11th, any character, regardless of whether they have the Spider-Man skin, they'll be able to web-swing. So it's really cool. They've sort of changed the traversal in the game a bit and introducing some really neat stuff. So Spider-Man has arrived on the island. He is available December 11th in chapter three season one battle pass get your spidey on there's so much marvel content in Fortnite. it is pretty incredible yes and spidey goodness spidey goodness spidey goodness also swings into books it was one of my picks for our holiday list but toshin has officially announced the marvel comics library spider-man volume one 1962 through 1964 This book is so beautiful. You can definitely see the book, lots about it on Ryan and I's Instagrams because Ryan, I know you did an unboxing. Mm -hmm. I posted some of my favorite stuff on my story and also in my grid. I love the picture that I took with it because it's so big. I just put it in front of my body and all you can see is my eyes. Yes, it's It's wild. I know Tony Michael on Instagram had commented on my post about it. He's a twim listener. He was asking where he could get it. He wanted to order it. So Tony, I believe now all the info is available. You can go to marvel.com to get all the details about this collaboration between Marvel and Toshin that's going to actually give us more of these giant Marvel comics library series with Avengers, Fantastic Four, Captain America going into the next couple years. These books are are really cool, but the details that they explain what they were trying to do, because they weren't just trying to recolor the original production artwork, which is what we've seen over the last Mm -hmm. couple of years. And it's really cool. They actually, Toshin wanted to create an ideal representation of what they should have looked like at the time of publication. So they have like really nice, high grade, top quality comics that they sourced for the material. And they took like these super high end scans from the folks at CGC. Each of these were printed so long ago, but they used modern retouching techniques to sort of correct some of the color problems with the era's four color printing press. Imagine if they had perfect machines printing these comics in 1961, two, three, and there were no flaws in how the colors lined up and everything, uh, how the lines looked. It, it should have been like kind of pristine. And that's what they were going for. They weren't mm-hmm. trying to recolor it in a new way. They were trying to say if they had the best way to make these comics so many years ago, this is what they kind of could have looked like. And it's really It's a revelation. Lorraine, you and I have seen these issues so many times over the Mm -hmm. years. It's like looking at them all over again for the first time. Well, and especially in the large format, you can really see them in detail in a way that I feel like even in the sort of original smaller print, it's harder to see. And they also include so many incredible additional pieces. You know, there's line work in there. You see some of the original paste-ups of everything pasted up onto the original artboards. You see what the Amazing Spider-Man title could have looked like if they wouldn't have changed it, which Mm -hmm. is crazy. You know, there's a whole bunch of details. There's some wonderful commentary in there as well from historians and photos and artifacts and things that are all featured that really also bring so much to the book. Yeah. And they developed a new kind of, they call it wood-free paper designed 
and developed for this series of books that simulates the feel of the original comics. So they, mm. they're just like creating things to make it feel like what you would have held in 1961, which is, it blows my mind, the amazing stuff that Tasha and Marvel have done with this. There's a 5,000 run version of volume one that's numbered and released as a famous first edition. There's also a collector's edition limited to 1,000 copies, which has an aluminum print cover tipped with a leather et bound spine foil embossing and housed in a slip case. It's just, it's, it's so awesome. fancy. It's so fancy. Definitely go check them out. You can go to Tatashin's website and learn more about them. You can get them at, you know, wherever fine books are sold. Everybody out there, go check out the Marvel Comics Library, Amazing Spider-Man Volume 1. It is, it's really cool. It's really cool. Yeah, and you can get your own at T-A-S-C-H-E-N.com. That's Tashin.com. It's Trixie to spell. Also, something awesome, Marvel Studios Hawkeye Episode 4 is now streaming on Disney+. Plus. The show is such a delight. It's so fun. Go check it out if you haven't already or catch up. There's only two episodes left. Oh, my gosh. It's almost finale time. So definitely go check it out. Enjoy it with the fam. Yeah. Also, maybe... It's time for you to spend a little money at a special auction. There is an auction for Marvel's The Punisher, some of the props and items from the Marvel television show. And um, I think we should probably dial up some of the folks who are helping to put this auction together in order to get some behind the scenes info. So how about Vice President of Business Development and Operations at Prop Store, Mr. Chuck Costas, and our very own Creative Director of Marvel Themed Entertainment, Brian Crosby. Let's get the hot deets. Beep, boop, 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 beep, boop. Ring, 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 ring. Hello? Oh, wow. Hi, Chuck. This is Chuck. Yeah. Hey. Let me patch in Brian. Ring, ring, ring. Brian's phone. Ring, ring, ring. Hello? Brian Crosby. What? Lorraine Sink. <laughs> and Ryan Panagos. He's here too. Ryan. Agent M. What's up, buddy? Uh, so fortuitous that this all worked out. Gentlemen, so glad to have you with us. We want to get into talking about the Punisher auctions in a little bit. But first, we have to ask the two of you, what are your Marvel origin stories? How did you first get connected to the mighty world of Marvel? Chuck? I actually started with Star Wars. I uh, lived in Indonesia back in 1977. And my first comic book was actually the Treasury edition of Star Wars. So the Marvel Star Wars was the first introduction both to Marvel as well as Star Wars. But then on my 10th birthday, my grandmother gave me $5 and I said, you know, comic books, those would be really cool. You know, let me find one that suits my taste. So I found Conan the Barbarian, number 131 off the stands. I read it. I was hooked. And so I spent the rest of the money buying all the other Marvel comics that I could on the stands. And, and from then on, I was a collector. I love it. For me, it started in the animation world. So being a kid of the 80s, Spider-Man and his amazing friends was my introduction to the Marvel Universe. So as far as I was concerned, the entire Marvel Universe was Spider-Man, Iceman, and Firestar. Slowly, other characters started to come in and make little cameo appearances, and I became more aware of the larger Marvel Universe, for sure. And definitely the uh, Secret Wars action figures were a big part of my childhood and getting introduced to Marvel. I really dipped my toe into comics at junior high. I discovered the X-Men, specifically Uncanny X-Men number 282, which was the first appearance of Bishop. Yeah, and I've now been here working at Marvel for the past six years or so. Love it. It's awesome. Brian, I also want to mention that many people probably know your hands 
from the Marvel YouTube That's channel. That's a, that's <laughs> you also draw many beautiful images on our How to Draw series very often. So, But we are here really to talk about these prop auctions for the Marvel's Punisher TV show, along with some items from Marvel's Daredevil. Chuck, how does the prop auction work? Sure. Anybody all over the world can participate in the auction. If you go to propstore.com slash Marvel right now, you can see the catalog for over 300 items that we have from Marvel's The Punisher and Marvel's Daredevil. And you can uh, go ahead and register. We actually have a contest as well for those that register. We're giving away a Frank Castle costume as well as one of his family photos. So if you just register for the auction, you can win that and that doesn't cost anything. And then the auction's going on through December the 14th. And you can just place your bid at any time. There's no last minute sniping the clock. If you if you bid in the last minute, it'll actually renew itself. But anybody can see all of the items there. We start everything pretty much at $100. There's a few items that are a little bit more than that. But we start that way. Just, you know, we let the fans decide what everything should be going for. But I had the pleasure of working with the Marvel team to hand select all the items that are in the auction. So that was a really fun thing for me. That's awesome. Now, of course, what you're selling for this time around is all around Marvel's Punisher, Marvel's Daredevil. What are some of the items that you both are most tickled about being up for auction that somebody could just have in their backyard? Because I know Ryan and I were talking about one item that would be particularly good for Halloween. <laughs> Does it have to do with a character that appeared in the second season of Marvel's The Punisher, maybe? Maybe the villain? No, no. Oh. It's uh, a bit more morbid and upsetting <laughs> than that. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, there's actually a fake toilet, and that's what I thought you were actually <laughs> referring to. There was a battle between Pilgrim and Frank Castle, and one of the items that was used in that was an actual sort of prop toilet, which if you want to put that in your backyard, you, you can, and I think it would make a great Halloween display. But I think, Ryan, what you may be referring to are the tombstones that we have. We actually have tombstones galore. We actually have ones for uh, Lieberman. As you know, he faked his own death, and so part of that was having a tombstone. But then there's ones for the the Castle family that are in there that they put in some of the, uh, the backstory shots. So we actually have Frank's as well as his family. So those might be a good Halloween gift, Ryan, if that's something that you're looking for. You're planning ahead for next Halloween already, I see. If I had to pick one, one item, I desperately want it. It would be Frank Castle's battle van. I believe there are two, Chuck, if I'm not mistaken. Well, there's one in the auction. We sold one in our previous oh, one, but one this already. is the battle damaged version that has like sort of the fake gunshots on the side of it. I mean, I think it's very practical. I mean, think about it this way. It's got a lot of cargo space, very hard to find a car in today's world. Where else are you going to find something as spacious as the Punisher battle van, except in this auction? All right. So the toilet currently is only <laughs> at hundred dollars. Let's go back to the toilet. No, I'm dead serious. <laughs> at the time of our recording. Ryan, should we pull our money together and get this toilet? I mean, we could get all the tombstones and the toilet still have money left over for lunch. I am into this. <laughs> well, there's plenty to choose from. So, I mean, we've got Frank Castle's guitar from when he plays it for his daughter. We've got Micro's guitars if you're a guitar player. You know, we've got things from every one of the different characters, which I think is awesome. I think everybody obviously would want something from Frank Castle himself or maybe Billy Russo. But we also have things from Amy Bendix. We've got Dina Madani. We have Pilgrim. We've got Curtis. But we've got different things from across both seasons of Marvel's The Punisher, as well as some of the things you see in uh, Marvel's Daredevil, including some of the photos, some of the newspapers. So a lot to choose from, things that you can put on your desk or, as Ryan will do, he'll put it in his backyard. 
Chuck, I feel like you're saying a lot of words, but we lost Ryan at the whole toilet thing. Yeah, no, I'm like, all right, <laughs> I have gone. to register fully. I've got to go through this whole thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All sounds cool. Madani, right, got it. How much is the toilet again? <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's super cool. Chuck, you were giving some great information there, but did you have an item specifically? Because I agree with you, Brian, that the battle damage van looked awesome. We were actually talking about it before you got on mm-hmm. the call. We were looking at that. That one is rad as, as heck, definitely. Well, I'll go with the one that I'm sure a lot of people are excited about, which is Frank Castle's Skull Vest. We actually have three different versions of that mm. in there. Two of them come with the full costume. The other one is just the vest by itself. You know, when you really think of the show, that's the piece that you think of. And what I actually heard in talking to the production manager is that he would actually take the vest off the set every day and bring him back. I think Joe Casada was actually overseeing a lot of the vests personally to make sure that they got on the set, you know, appropriately. But those are really cool and really just sort of speaks to the character. But we've got other things in there. If you can't afford a vest, we've got like the x-ray. So from season one, you see that Frank Castle gets a bullet hole in his head. And the way you find that out is through this x-ray. And we have those. And those display really well on the desk. Don't need to make room in your backyard for something like that. But things like the newspapers, I think the newspaper headlines are pretty fantastic. You're coming from the New York Bulletin. Just to have that as part of the overall Marvel Universe, where you see these different headlines from across the different pages of the newspaper, also another great thing that you can put on your wall. And before we keep going, as anybody who's listening to this wants to get into looking at the auctions right now, it's propstore.com slash Marvel. Once again, make sure people can check that out. You mentioned Joe Casada. Can you tell us a little bit about Joe's part in all this? Joe Casada, legendary Marvel Comics artist, has been so many roles for Marvel. Joe's been pretty actively involved in this, and it's great to find out that Joe's a collector himself in some ways. And we actually have a video out there that we released on the Prop Store YouTube channel where Joe Casada and Steve Lightfoot talk about Marvel's The Punisher. And I think it's a great thing, but it gives you some insight in Joe's actual collection. He actually pulls out a few pieces. But Joe did a print for us. So this is a limited edition print. We only printed 200 of these that Joe signed, but for Marvel's The Punisher, he had drawn a drawing of Frank Castle that was used and really only given to the cast and crew. It was originally intended as a cast and crew gift as a poster, later used in some other licensing art later. But this is the original pencils. He actually had a scan of the pencils and we reproduced that as if it was Joe on a piece of Bristol board that he was doing. So it's a smaller size. It's actually comic book size and it comes with a copy of our auction highlights catalog. It's $20. And if you go to propstore.com, you can order one of these catalogs. But it was great of Joe to do that. He signs all the certificates of authenticity that go along with this that authenticates this as part of the Marvel Universe. And folks may know also, Joe was an executive producer. So he was involved in the day-to-day production of a lot of these Marvel television shows. So it was great to have somebody that was involved with the production, seeing it all the way through to the auctions, to the fans. Heck yeah. Also, these catalogs are so nice. Highly recommend going and checking those out over on the website. Now, one of the things that I'm always curious about is what are the most out there items? Like what have been your highest ranked Marvel items as far as, you know, bidding cost and what folks have gotten most excited about so far? From like the previous ones, right? Because mm-hmm. you y'all yeah. have been doing these for a while. We have. Yeah, we started in 2019 working with Marvel to host these. And the first ones were Marvel's Daredevil, Marvel's Iron Fist, and Marvel's Luke Cage. And then we moved on to do Marvel's Jessica Jones. And then we also worked with ABC and Marvel on Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'd say the top items have been from Marvel's Daredevil. We had some Daredevil costumes. And those were, I think they hammered over $60,000 a piece for one of the costumes there. 
But we had smaller items as well, his billy clubs and, and other items that were coming from Marvel's Daredevil. We also had from Marvel's Luke Cage, we had one of Misty Knight's arms, which was a pretty fantastic piece. I think that ended up going over $5,000. But, you know, the good news is the majority of these items don't go for crazy money. And Ryan, there's hope that you're going to get that toilet. <laughs> I've said that a lot in my life. <laughs> Doesn't always work out. Yes. Well, your daughter might appreciate the toilet as well. I don't know. We're working on potty training right now. <laughs> it's a good practice. It's a stunt. Don't forget. But you know, a lot of the items do go for a few hundred dollars or even sometimes a hundred dollars as well. So I think if you think that auctions are all about high-priced items, that's not the case. And when we picked out items from the set, we wanted to find a wide variety that would appeal to a bunch of different people that frankly were going to be at different price ranges. So yes, we will have a Punisher vest or a battle van, even though it might not be going home with Brian Crosby, those might go for a little bit more, but we'll also have items such as maybe Dina Madani's necklace that might only go for $100 or $200 and are still very cool and tell a story behind the production. Chuck, you mentioned some of those items, and I remember seeing some of those items, the Misty's arm and some other cool stuff on display at conventions previously. And Brian, that's, you know, a big area for you, you know, helping with the conventions, doing that cool stuff. Have you ever run around or put on any of the props or done crazy things with the props before they are sealed in the cases before the crowd show up at conventions. You can tell us there's no one else listening. I just want to know the scoop. I really wanted to. I really did. Especially, I think it was at C2E2, Chuck. We had the Daredevil costume out there and the mask was just, it was sitting right there. It had not been sealed yet. Chuck was not on site just yet. It was right in front of me. I desperately wanted to put on Daredevil's mask, but I did not. I refrained. I got to be a little bit profesh at some of these events, but no, I did not put on any of the props or costumes, but really wanted to. Admired them from afar, for sure. Sure. Chuck, you're there. You've been there at these events. Do you have any memorable reactions from fans? Because I remember I would be there taking videos and, and taking photos and stuff, and people would be like, that's not real. That's not real. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that excited me the most is when you see somebody like when we did the Marvel's Jessica Jones auction, actually, I think we did Marvel's The Defenders and we had a Jessica Jones costume. Somebody came up dressed as Jessica Jones and they were posing next to it and they could actually study and see what the actual Jessica Jones costume looked like. We had the same reaction as Brian said. We actually debuted this auction at the beginning of 2020. We actually previewed some of the items, but we're now just getting those out. We actually had one of the Frank Castle Punisher costumes there and the people would come up and just go, wow, is that actually Frank Castle's costume? And I'd be like, that's it. That is what it looks like. And for people to be able to see it up close, it just takes you to a different world when you can actually see the items that were used to actually make these wonderful shows. How Chuck and I met actually is we worked together on the Marvel Universe of Superheroes Museum exhibit. One of the great things about that exhibit is getting to be up close and personal with original art, original props and costumes from Marvel Studios productions and you know Marvel Television productions. But I think what makes this relationship even more special is now not just being able to see it, but then to take a piece of it home, a big part of what we do at themed entertainment is about allowing people to kind of step into these stories that they've fallen in love with on film or on the pages of comic books or whatever. And so we try to bring these experiences to life that let people feel like they are a part of the narrative, that they're in it, that they're living it, that the story is about them. They become the protagonist in many ways, but then to allow them to now take a piece of that home and have personal ownership over a one-of-a-kind item from one of those productions is a pretty cool opportunity for the Marvel fans, I think. Yeah, I collected original art for a long period of time, and I think the fact that you get the one piece and you're holding it in your hands and saying, this is really where it all started, this is really the original art for film and television. 
These are the pieces that were used to do it. And in some cases, there are multiples, but they were intended for production. And there's really only a limited amount of these. And most of these probably saw some screen time as well. So this is really, I look at it as the original art of today's film and television world that we're offering out to fans. And it's very special to be able to do that on behalf of Marvel. Yeah, there's really nothing like having the really real thing. I mean, it doesn't get more real than having a piece of these shows. Do you have any props or prop replicas that either of you collect or keep an eye out for? I have to say I do. I've gotten into it myself. I actually have, strangely enough, on my wall over here, Tom Jane's original Punisher vest from the previous movies that came out there. That's one of my prides and joys. Brian, have you taken home a piece of the Marvel Universe? Not to that level, Chuck. I'm not, I'm not nearly at your level of collector, but I, I do have one of the tickets from the carousel from Punisher. So that's kind of cool. At least it's a little something that I have. It's not big. It's easy to display. But uh, yeah, that's my one little piece. The fact that you've even got a piece of the show and that you can show it to people and it may be small and you can put it on your desk, it brings you joy. And it's also something that you can talk to folks about and talk about your passion. Because I know, Brian, you are very much a fan of The Punisher and Marvel's The Punisher. It allows you to sort of share that with other people in a tangible way. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the Defenders and the gritty street level heroes always kind of resonated with me. I think I always felt like, if I worked really hard, like I could become one of them if I really tried and really worked out a lot and went to the gym and stuff. But uh, no, I, I agree, Chuck. Having just those little pieces of the production is pretty special. It's, it's always been great to work with you and your team and to see these things in person. I've had the pleasure of going to visit Chuck's office, you know, seeing all of these things on display, including the battle damaged battle van, which I cannot get over. Just being able to touch <laughs> it and see it was gratifying for me. So I can only imagine getting to take that thing home. I think about it literally every day. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you, gentlemen, so much for talking to us. One more time, everybody go visit propstore.com Marvel to check out all of the cool treasures that you can take home, especially appropriate for the holiday season for you or someone you love or tell someone you love to get you a Punisher vest. That's the least they can do. Or a Punisher van. Or a van. Or a yeah. toilet. Or to <laughs> van vest toilet. Chuck, Brian, thank you so much. Thanks, well, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much, Chuck and Brian. Uh, we promise to be just as poorly behaved the next time we talk to you. Yeah, we, we definitely promise. Look, more toilets means more excitement on our end. We are hyped. Twim Team Toilet. Twim, Twim Team, team toilet. toilet. You can go to propstore.com slash Marvel for the full auction list and details and the toilet. You have until December 14th to get your bids in and it's going to be great. Moving on. Marvel Future Revolution, the game that features Ryan's beautiful mug, mm -hmm. was also recognized, no doubt because of Ryan's yeah. beautiful mug, as the iPad Game of the Year in Apple's App Store Best of 2021 Awards. Congratulations to the Marvel Games team and the Marvel Future Revolution team. Marvel Future Revolution also received the Google Play 2021 Award for Best Competitive Game. Nice. It is an award winning game available in many regions so go check it out download marvel future revolution on the apple app store or the google play store right now it's award seasons baby it's just beginning and toy of the year awards are here and congrats to marvel spidey and his amazing friends who have been nominated for the toy awards license of the year award you can vote for marvel spidey and his amazing friends by january 4th at toyawards.org 
this show is so cute and all of the toys that are based around that show are so 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 cute yeah we talked about it last week with some of the duplo stuff with jesse so i definitely ordered one of the spidey and his amazing friends duplo sets for Catherine for christmas which is very exciting and that kind of dovetails right into our next bit of news which is that there's a lego duplo marvel app where you can join spidey captain america and other marvel heroes in exciting adventures and pretend play fun uh, which is super super cool each play pack features an open-ended play experience to help your favorite marvel hero save the day you can shoot webs with spidey and his amazing friends or rescue a cat with Captain America. Each pack also has fun and engaging problem-solving challenges to support your child's learning and development. They can build amazing structures with virtual 3D Lego Duplo bricks. You can even help your kid make their very own Spider-Man HQ. You can download it on the App Store or Google Play. I am going to be putting this on my iPad as soon as possible because Catherine, she sees my iPad on the couch or something where I usually am reading comics for work or doing whatever. She'll take the pen Mm -hmm. out and she'll start drawing on it and she'll draw on pictures and stuff like that. I have to always tell her, please don't slam the pen into the screen because that (gasps) will hurt it. But now, you know, if we can learn and play and do stuff with the blocks, this is super cool. It makes me really happy that we have stuff like this for the kids. Let's talk about comics, because this week we started to get some real information about Destiny of X. It's basically the start of the second Krakoan age of the X-Men comics, and it's coming out of the ashes of the Inferno series that is... Wow. It's between Inferno and the big time travel story that's happening in the 10 lives of Wolverine and the X deaths of Wolverine. So Destiny of X is on the way. If you are not reading the X-Men comics, you might be like, what the hell are you talking about? (laughs) It's awesome stuff. It's really, really cool. We've gotten a whole bunch of really interesting ideas and possibilities and comics out of the last two years of X-Men stuff. And so now we're getting into some new stuff that is going to take things in a bunch of different directions. We're going to see some big, big highlights for Krakoa, but also some very difficult challenges still ahead. So there's going to be new titles, Immortal X-Men, Knights of X, Legion of X, X X-Men Red, new creative team on the Marauders title, and some big changes coming to X-Men, X-Force, New Mutants, and Wolverine. We're going to have more announcements and more stuff coming soon. But if you haven't seen the teaser image by artist Laniel Francis Yu and Sonny Go, it is awesome. It's just this big, almost looks like a class portrait, you know, Mm -hmm. of a ton of X-Men characters, a bunch of mutants. There's some stuff in there that you're like, wait, what? What's happening with this character? Why is that character there? Who's this? It's beautiful. There's a color image and the penciled image that are out there. You can check it all out on marvel.com. Yeah, do it. Lots of great stuff coming for comics because Marvel Unlimited is going to start this month. We'll be sending out regular updates from Marvel HQ with all the inside info about what's to come for Marvel Unlimited in the month. And that includes two MU app updates coming this month, which include the ability to browse comics by single issues, the ability to filter comic issues by publication month and year when browsing single issues, the ability to sort comics by publication date and date added to Marvel Unlimited, an update to your reading progress that will be more accurately reflected when you have read in your continuing reading. You'll be able to view comic issues as well as series in your library. I mean, these are all things that I think people have wanted for a long time, like in a dream scenario, and they're all 
coming. So look out for the first update coming very soon. We'll be sure to let you know when it's been released so you can go update the app and start to use some of those really cool features. So make sure that you are also following Marvel Unlimited on Twitter or Facebook and keep an eye out for the Marvel Unlimited support FAQ for updates. These are all going to be really, really cool new features. So definitely check it out. And of course, Marvel Unlimited is adding comics all the time, including the wonderful new Infinity Comics series that are unique to Marvel Unlimited, including It's Jeff. So definitely go check out Marvel Unlimited. This is the perfect time to sign up if you have not already. Go to marvel.com slash unlimited for more details. Yeah. And I know I've talked to a lot of fans who are like, oh, great. You, you, you know, relaunched the app and did all this stuff. What about this thing? What about this feature? What about that? The team listens. Let them know what you want. Be kind. Be understanding that development of an app takes time, but they are working really hard. The team is mm. is where I, like I've sent them tons of feedback about the things that I wanted and I was missing. So they're working on it. They're doing it. They're awesome. And um, we're going to keep making the app better and better for y'all. Yeah. All right. December continues to be rife with goodness, as does this episode, because we have more Marvel's Wastelanders Hawkeye stuff coming up in the episode And now all episodes are available to Marvel Podcast Unlimited subscribers as well as Sirius XM subscribers, including two episodes of Marvel's Beyond the Scenes, uh, which includes interesting interviews about the series with stars Stephen Lang, who plays Clint Barton, and Tracy Toms, who plays Kate Bishop, as well as with writer Jay Holtham, who we're going to have on the episode later today, and director Rachel Chavkin, and it really makes such a nice companion piece to the series. I know I always have like a little bit of sadness when I finish a podcast or a book or a comic series, and this is a nice way to get a little bit more of the series and get a little more insight when you have that end of the series blues going on. I know, I know. You, of course, can hear the series first exclusively on the SiriusXM app or by subscribing to Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts and coming soon everywhere else. If you're not subscribed, you can currently listen to the first nine episodes. So you got plenty to listen to if you are getting ready for a holiday break. going to be real good for you. Learn more about all this at SiriusXM.com slash Wastelanders. All right, let's get to it because Jay Holtham, writer of Marvel's Wastelanders, Hawkeye, had a wonderful conversation with our pal Angelique Rocher. So uh, let's uh, ring her up on the old twim phone. Good idea. Beep, boop, 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 boop. Ring, ring, Angelique's phone. Ring, 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 ring. Hey, yo. It's, wait, is this Lorraine and Ryan? Hi. Yeah. <gasps> Hi. I miss you guys. <laughs> we miss you too. Now you did an interview with Jay Holtham, writer on Marvel's Wastelanders, Hawkeye. What happened in the interview? Tell us about it. Yeah, I got to talk to Jay Holtham, really accomplished writer. He's done some incredible stuff on screen and stage and just like total nerd. Uh, True story. Our pull list are at the same comic book store and we now get to go pick up our comic books together. So, yes, it was also the beginning of a great friendship. He's a delight. One of the cool things about this conversation is we actually talked to him before the premiere and so promise no spoilers inside so make sure you listen to this and then make sure you go listen to marvel's wastelanders hawkeye because it's awesome heck yeah what was your introduction to marvel when i was a very young kid there were like my brother had a few random comics star wars 
But for me, Marvel really started when I turned 10 and I moved to New Jersey and I discovered the like local comic book shop, which wasn't even a comic book shop. It was just a like corner store that sold magazines and every comic book in the world like they used to. And I'm a, you know, 10-year-old awkward black kid in a, suddenly in a very, very white suburb in New Jersey. And I discovered the New Mutants and was like, these are my people. This is who I am. And that was, like, the way down. So it was, like, New Mutants led to X-Men, somehow led to Avengers, I think probably because of Beast, and then Spider-Man, and then it was just inhaling all of them. After that, it's been sort of dipping in and out, particularly on superhero comics, and, like, sometimes I was like, I'm too cool for comics. I'm gonna read Preacher and Sandman, and, like, I'm smart now. Now I'm just Spider-Man all the way. Do you remember that first book that you picked up? Like, do you remember the cover? Because I feel like people always either have it embedded or it's just like, no, I just remember the story. I mean, I remember the stories. I remember Demon Bear and that run and the Sankovitz art, Legion. Oh, that run. That was <sighs> brains everywhere. Uh, literally. So that was, yeah, literally. It was probably like one of the first or second covers I think that I got. I don't think I got the original graphic novel until later. I think I went back for that. So it was like nine or ten of the first New Mutants run that I picked up. And I joined X-Men, I think right around Secret Wars. Like right around Secret Wars. Because I, I feel like when I think about those first X-Men comics, I remember starting with the issue where Colossus breaks up with Kitty Pride. That's like one of the first issues I remember reading. Really glad we fixed that. Yeah, just... yeah. I'm, so am I. That was also it made was for not some cool. really dope covers. Yeah, I think that was the issue. I think that's one of those issues that's like burned into my brain. So I think that's the one where he and Wolverine go out drinking, and they run into Juggernaut, who's like on a date with Celine, and they get into this like massive fight to make Colossus feel better. It's it's just awesome. I want to be very clear. with anyone says that comic books aren't like soap operas. I just oh, need no. them to go back and read <laughs> all of the 80s and the 90s Ooh. comics Ooh. and everything that was happening. I mean, honestly, the 70s as well, but like the yeah. 80s and the 90s for the X-Men. Soapy, soapy, soapy. I mean... So soapy. God, okay, I just want to nerd out with you about everything, but I gotta say, there's a very particular and interesting way that people gravitate to comic books. There are so many other things that are happening at this time, right? Like, we got animation going on. We've got movies going on. What was it about comic books and that particular medium for you that grabbed you, that engaged you, that, that brought your imagination in? I mean, it's the serial storytelling and the depth of the storytelling. Like... I love Star Trek, always have, love Next Generation, which was floating around at the time. I mean, we were a little bit in like the Star Trek gap and definitely in the Star Wars gap. But the thing about Star Trek is that it's so sort of insular. It's so episodic, it's just in its nature. So the thing about comics is exactly that soap thing, that build of stories that you're watching, you know, Peter Parker and Mary Jane fall in love and in and out of love and him wrestle with being Spider-Man over time. And that's one of the great things that you get that, like, length of time and that length of relationships and those depths and complications that you get from comic books. You know, in addition to, obviously, visual storytelling and great covers and, you know, just great worlds to explore in. But, yeah, it was that, I mean, honestly, it's the thing that the MCU did sort of before anyone else, which is also those connections, that, that sense of a bigger world that, you know, when Daredevil shows up in... 
a Spider-Man comic, there's always some sense of like, oh, he was just doing this other thing, and you got to go over and read Daredevil to find out what's going on with him, but he's going to help Spider-Man for this two minutes, you know, for this issue he's here, or whatever. I always love those little, the little asterisks and little thing that says, you know, see Amazing Spider-Man 250. It's like, oh, there's a continuity here. There's a bigger world to explore. Do you feel like that love of comics and then eventually graphic novels and these these marriages between words and pictures impacted you as a writer when you moved on to writing for TV and now writing scripted podcasts? Yeah, I think so. Like it definitely crafted my sense of dialogue, my sense of scene and purpose and Interestingly for podcasts, because there aren't any visuals, but also the, the way visuals can tell a story and the way an idea can be depicted and what that does to dialogue and to character and to sort of imagery, you know, there's a, a way of looking at comics as kind of like storyboards for like a film you put together in your mind, right? And that definitely has helped me as I wrote for TV and, and then coming around to, to podcasts, just being familiar with the world and familiar with the stories. It's definitely a different medium and a different sort of have to take a different approach. But at the end of the day, it's all the same stuff, you know, character, motivation, and learning to like track those stories and track those emotions from early on definitely helped. So the other thing that folks may not know about you, you did some playwriting before. Mm -hmm. How did that transition go? I mean, it went fairly well because at the same time, I did I wrote a lot of plays and worked in theater in New York for close to 20 years. But during all that time, one, I was watching a lot of movies. I was also like an indie film kid living at the Angelica in Greenwich Village, watching like any, I've seen so many weird movies. Again, marrying story to visuals was something I was doing early. It's interesting because the plays that I wrote were very, very much play plays people talking in rooms about emotional stuff that were a little funny and a little sad and sometimes sort of romantical. And I had a lot of friends who did geek theater, which was, I was always interested in, but I never felt like I had, I wanted to have better chops basically to do that because it meant so much to me. For those who don't know what geek or nerd theater is, how would you describe that for them? Oh my God. It would be theater that was comic books on stage or sci-fi movies on stage. Queen Ian, who co-wrote Raya, The Last Dragon, had a company called Vampire Cowboys, which was like martial arts movies on stage, but also sci-fi, but also really funny and smart. Just great fun, which just was not like my world at the time. So- You've written plays, yep. you've written television, and you've probably written D&D campaigns. Yep. You have also written a fiction podcast called Marvel's Wastelanders Hawkeye. I have. Talk to me about the difference in those experiences and then like, what were you able to bring from your playwriting and your TV writing into this process? Oh man, the difference is surprisingly massive. Because like I said, the, the one thing that you lose is all visual information. And it's funny, I mean, the producers will tell you many times, they're like, nope, you can't see that. You can't see when someone says that, so you have to describe it. And like, oh, it changes your thinking in terms of like what information needs to be conveyed to an audience and how. In some ways, I was glad for my theater background because you just fall back on like, okay, let's just write scenes. Let's get two maybe three characters in a room together, give them something to talk about, and then just let them talk for a while. And that became a lot of fun. Like, the more that I could get 
two people in a room and give them something to talk about, give them something to fight about with words, because, you know, fights also, surprisingly, don't translate so well. We do great things with audio. The producers are amazing. And, like, it's really interesting how to translate that. But it's much better when people talk. So you get to do that. And that was just so much fun. Well, and I think a lot of people don't understand, like, there's a lot of science to sound. There's a lot of Mm -hmm. layering of sound. The magic that audio producers and sound engineers, they're wizards, uh, right? Because they understand how many people can be in a conversation, how many different voices can actually be in a scene before the human ear is like, I can't differentiate. Exactly, exactly. And things like in my podcast, there was some dealing of cards and shuffling of cards. And they were like, that doesn't make a sound that people recognize. I was like, oh, right. Divorce from the visual of someone shuffling cards, that doesn't mean anything. Like, oh, crap, okay, I have to figure out a way to communicate this. I have to figure out a way around it, figure out how to also not just make it narration, you know, at the same time. Like, how do I ground bits of information the audience needs to understand the context of the scene in character, in motivation, in what's going on, you know? So it was a definitely a, a learning curve for me coming from visual, basically visual media into audio, but it was also just a ton of fun. Is there anything that you learned that you're going to be bringing on in your process moving forward? I mean, what you just said about the number of voices, like scenes and getting down to two people or two or three people, that is definitely something that I, I look at most of the things that I do through that lens a lot more now and a lot more like, again, how do I get two people in a room to talk this out? as opposed to solving it with uh, punching. Sometimes punching is still necessary, but it's a, a, clearly a lot harder when yeah. you're just dealing with the sound. Yes. How much research did you have to do into Hawkeye? Or were you like a fan before? Were you not a fan before? Like, talk to me about this. I was like 50-50 on Hawkeye. Because Hawkeye is also going through a couple iterations. Yeah. I read the Matt Fraction, My Life is a Weapon, Obvi. I'm doing chef's kiss right now. Again, you can't see it, so I have to describe it. (laughs) So I read that. I obviously read Old Man Hawkeye, just to get a sense also of that world. I'd read Old Man Logan before. Just getting more familiar with the world than the character, and a little bit familiar with the character as he was sort of in the present. I mean, obviously, also, I watched all the MCU movies, and I know MCU Hawkeye is slightly different than comic book Hawkeye, but there's still going to be some connections, some ties, and some expectations built into that. And so, yeah, I just sort of immersed myself in that world a bit more. You know, I'd read the old Hawkeye and Mockingbird miniseries back in the day. So I also read some new Mockingbird, as well as some Kate Bishop, just to, again, get a sense of, like, who are all of these people? What are their relationships to each other? What's here that's interesting for me to play with? And that was kind of my basis for that, at least in terms of comics. Nice. So tell us about the Wastelanders universe. Where are we at? What has happened? How did we get here? Well, some people will be familiar with this from Old Man Logan. So in the continuity of the show, 30 years before, all of the villains got together and decided to kill all the heroes. I mean, that's what villains do, but I feel like they were a little bit more successful here. They were a lot more successful because they actually succeeded, in part because they did a lot of swappy swap. There was a little crisscross kind of action there 
with, you know, the Avengers being killed by Magneto and Magneto killing all of that kind of stuff. But it was organized primarily by Baron Zemo and they won and then divide the country up amongst them. And each sort of section of the United States takes on the personality of the person who owns it. And they all have a kind of different vibe and a different kind of set of rules. Because, you know, they're villains and they're despots and they're sort of like, this is my little area here for me to run entirely the way I want to run. I don't care what you're doing over there. And obviously there's a lot of sort of environmental destruction and disaster. So 30 years into it, when Hawkeye starts up, we're in Zemo's kingdom because, you know, a baron gets to be a king. And it is, in my mind, kind of a libertarian paradise in that way. It's sort of suburban with a little bit of fascism, but it's also like a free-for-all. You know, there's no sort of real government. Everyone is kind of left on their own. You can kind of do whatever you want, especially if you have money and power. In my brain, it was a little like the Old West in that sort of like on the verge of lawlessness, but with like towns and places where people just lived. And that's that's the kind of setting that I went for with Hawkeye and sort of living in that world. Hawkeye and a few other heroes survived the day the villains won and are sort of scattered, but it is definitely, I mean, we're full in post-apocalyptic territory here of the worst, almost the worst possible world. So now my question is, what were your inspirations on where you wanted to bring these characters? Like where in their stories was this going to lead? Because you're not only looking into these windows in their lives, you're also playing with some characters from the comic books in some very cool and different ways. Like Ash, especially, who in the podcast is Hawkeye's adopted daughter. Like I said, with the Wild West of it, I looked a lot at Westerns. I really focused particularly on True Grit. Because True Grit is great. And the thing that I really liked about it, because, you know, coming into it, Ash in the Old Man Hawkeye comic book is not a major character. She appears and sort of disappears there. I know in the storyline, she winds up having more impact later on. And I was like, I like this relationship. I like this idea about, you know, what does it mean for Ash to have grown up in this world? What does it mean for Hawkeye to be in this world? And I sort of cast Hawkeye in the Rooster Cogburn role, in the like, I am old and grumpy and angry, and I have this burning need for this revenge that happens to align with this kid, who is my kid, with her need for revenge. And I liked that relationship. I liked that sort of, like, grumpy old person, angry young person, and they slowly grow to love each other kind of dynamic. Through their mutual hate and need for revenge? Exactly. Through their mutual, but also also conflicting. Because there's that great conflict in True Grit where... She wants this one guy because he killed her dad, and he wants the guy who's, like, next to him just because he pissed him off. And it's like, at a certain point, Rooster's like, I don't care about your dude. I'm going after my dude, and just abandons Maddie. And it's kind of heartbreaking, and he feels really crappy about it, and it turns out kind of badly for Maddie, you know? And so I was like, that dynamic and that sort of sense of the world, these two people on this, like murder journey was kind of the first place I landed. I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm over here laughing on the statement of murder journey. Murder journey. The other sort of big influence with this Wild West was the sense of the Wild West show. 
And another character who came to my mind is Robert Ford, the guy who shot Jesse James. And that sad, broken down life of him traveling the country in shows, recreating this the one important thing he ever did and the worst thing he ever did and a thing that made him miserable. You know, there's that title of the, the, it's a gorgeous movie, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. And you're thinking like walking around with that and thinking about Hawkeye as the last Avenger, the only survivor of all of those heroes and being forced to recreate that every night, two times a night sometimes for an audience that's basically booing at him and throwing popcorn and laughing at the death of his friends. I thought that sounds like just a ton of fun. (laughs) And so that became the linchpin of the whole story. And so, yeah, all of those sort of influences, a little outward Josie Wales, a little pale rider, a little of this, a little of that bunch of Clint Eastwood movies, a little tombstone and just throw in some superheroes. And there we go. You know, one of the cool things that I love about comic books and one of the amazing things about Marvel is that everything is a team sport. Everything is a collaboration. Talk to me about your collaboration with the director, Tony Award winner, Rachel Chavkin. Did you know her before? What was the process like with her? Like, how did this go? Like, did you go out and like play hotscotch and like get coffee? I mean, you didn't. It was a pandemic. We didn't. It was a pandemic. She's in New York. I'm in California. It was it was. A lot of Zooms. Rachel's amazing. Like, I knew her reputation and her work coming into it, so I was just over the moon to get this chance to work with her. And she lived up to that reputation. Like, she's so insightful, especially as someone who is not particularly comic booky or sci-fi-y. So she's definitely drilled down to, like, yeah, 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 comic book history. What's going on in this scene? What do these two people care about? What is story? Yes, exactly. Exactly. And also the great freaking Marvel team of editors, Ellie Pyle and Jill and MR, and all of that hard work that everyone put into crafting the story and just going over and over to dial down to what do we need to know? What does the audience need to know? And let's get these people in rooms talking. And that was, it was such a great process. And like the scripts and the story grew by leaps and bounds through sort of every iteration and every every rewrite. You know, shout out to MR Daniel for that. MR is actually the person who taught me about you can only have a certain amount of voices in a room. Yeah, they're for a great about podcast. That. Yeah. yeah. So Stephen Lang plays Hawkeye. Did you have someone in mind when you were writing the character? Because I know a lot of people will be like, this character is Harrison Ford, like in their brain. I mean, I didn't really. Like, I did hang up a lot in my head on... Jeff Bridges' version of Rooster Cogburn. But, like, it's interesting. When I write, I usually don't see specific actors unless I'm really writing for a specific actor. Like, if I'm writing something just for myself, I just kind of imagine a generalized person doing it. And Stephen Lang comes about as close as you can imagine. Like, he's got... He's just such an amazing actor. And, like, he's got the gruffness and the bitterness, but also this, like, heart underneath it and, like, He's just so good. He's so It's very so Hawkeye. The way you're describing yes. it is very like the gruff and the bitter really is like embedded in yeah. my brain as key core characteristics of any Hawkeye. Exactly. Um, period. Yep. Did anything change after you've heard the script in the recordings? Did you adjust? Like, because you were going through this process where you're kind of learning how all of this works. Yeah. I mean, they definitely did. I was able to be in a bunch of recording sessions early on with the cast and with Rachel 
And there were definitely changes on the fly and sort of like, let's adjust this word or adjust this beat. Or, you know, it turns out we don't need this thing here. It actually is playing on audio, letting the actors do it. So there was a lot of that sort of early on. Later in the process, like, I wasn't able to be in quite as many sessions. But by that point, I really trusted Rachel and I really trusted the actors to say, listen, it's in your hands now. Because there is definitely that part as a writer where you have to be able to say, this is in your hands I trust you, you know the story, so we'll see you on the other side. And also, just remember, I'm going to take credit for any jokes you add. I like that caveat you made. I, 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 like, I like that caveat you made. Oh, yeah, I'm actually going to take, I'm totally going to take all the credit. My God. The other cool thing as a Marvel fan is that you had the opportunity to create characters for the podcast. Yes. Now, how does it feel to be able to add characters to the Marvel Universe, yo? It is amazing, really, really amazing. And I'm like really thrilled at one of the characters we created because they're very modern and very diverse and such a like great, warm, lovely character and just pushing those boundaries and adding a little bit of thread to that. Yeah, to the the Marvel tapestry is just such a like delight for me. And it was, oh God, it was so much fun. For folks who are going to be listening into the series, right? Mm -hmm. What are you most excited for them to hear and experience? Oh, man. I'm excited for them to dig into all the parts of this world and to see all these heroes facing some pretty terrible situations and still managing to pull it together. You know, we're all coming through a year where a lot went down and we're still reckoning with it. And I think for me, the heart of all of this is how do you survive after an apocalypse? How do you rebuild the world? How do you rebuild the world better? Is it possible, especially when your own heart is sort of broken and shattered and you've been through all of this crap? And like, that's the thing that I think is the most powerful about all of it, about taking away how do you rebuild from the ashes? And watching these incredible characters and performed by incredible actors all do that and all figure out their way through. It really, I don't know, it really gets me all like choked up and warm and is like, this is why we do it. You know, this is this is the messages we want to put out into the world. And it's exciting. Angelique, that was such a fun conversation. Everyone, definitely go listen to Marvel's Wastelanders, Hawkeye, wherever you get your podcasts. Ah, what a delight to see and talk to your lovely face. I miss you so much. Uh, Anytime. Big thanks again to Angelique for coming in and helping out with all this. And you can, of course, hear Angelique Roche on the Marvel's Voices podcast, the Women of Marvel podcast, and see some of her incredible work in the Marvel's Voices comic anthology. She works real hard to help put those out, and uh, it shows. She's doing great work. Which takes us to our question of the week next week. We're going to have on Douglas Wolk, who is the author of the book, All of the Marvels, about reading all of the Marvel comics that have ever been written. This is real. This is real. Yeah, he, he read them all. So our question of the week is, what is your all-time favorite single issue of a Marvel comic book? That is a big question. We asked it of Douglas Wolk, who might have the right answer because he has read every comic book ever. Okay, this is a random one, but one of my favorite, favorite, favorite all-time single issues is Wolverine and the X-Men number 17. The series is by Jason Aaron. It is the dupe issue that just follows dupe. 
on his day-to-day stuff, you know, because he's always like this little side character enigma, and it really goes through and shows his day. And I think that's the reason why that dupe series ended up getting made a couple years later, because that issue was so enchanting. It was so charming. And I just absolutely loved the world of dupe. Mm. It was so sweet. Man, that's a great pick. I think I go to a sentimental personal favorite of Spider-Man number 17, which is an issue written by Anacenti, and it's got art by Rick Leonardi, and it features Thanos with the Infinity Gauntlet on the cover holding a dead Spider-Man. Spider-Man dies in the issue, and it's a beautiful, sweet, sad story, but with hope. It's something that stuck with me for, God, 30 years. So it's a really special one to me. It's Spider-Man number 17, I think, is the one if I had to pick one single issue that always pops off on the top of my head. There are literally thousands of comics to choose from. So you can tweet us your answers using the hashtag This Week in Marvel. Email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com. Or you could send us a message on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash thisweekinmarvel. And of course, please make sure to tell us if it is quote unquote okay to read on the show so we can share them in our community section, which is coming up. Yeah, our question of the week last week was if you could own a physical prop, no matter how obscure from any Marvel production, film, show, anything like that what would it be we got a bunch of great answers and first is from john david walters at jd walters 85 who says captain america's compass represents his own rock solid moral compass and where he gets his strength from his sweetie i'd put my wife's picture in it because she does the same for me oh that's so sweet that's such a nice idea yeah all right next up queen frostine at justine underscore nw says i want a tube of sweet dreams lipstick from agent carter i remember this moment very well because the double agent dotty underwood uses the sweet dreams lipstick and kisses peggy carter on the mouth and knocks her out and also knocked me out (laughs) (laughs) joe cotterelli at joe cotterelli book says howard stark's model town as seen in marvel studios iron man 3 the one with the hidden design for a new element. I'd use it as a toy playtown and a stop motion film set. Obviously, <laughs> I would need a whole new room in my house. Or the metal swinging desk toy on Pepper Potts' desk in Marvel Studios Iron Man 3, the one Tony almost destroys. Oh my gosh, those are great. We also have Andrew Baduan. I'm probably saying that wrong, at Dadpool86, who says, Steve Rogers' notepad. This dives into all the things that we found were noteworthy. Oh, like when he's like, oh, yes, I should listen to hip hop music or use internet. (laughs) Does everybody know that there's different versions of that shot for different countries? No, that's so cool. Yeah, so there's obviously the one that's released in America, but there's other ones for other places where the film was released with culturally relevant things. It's cool. Davey AK at Davey AK says, if I could own any physical prop from a Marvel production, then it would without a doubt have to be the quote, proof that Tony Stark has a heart art creator. Oh, next up, Lucy Marriott at Lucy Marriott 10 says, if I could own any prop from the entirety of the Marvel Universe, it would have to be either Magneto's helmet used to stop Charles reading his thoughts or Logan's dog tags. The only clue he has to who he was. I also read that in my mind as Logan's dog treats. And I love that because I'm a dog mom. 
Kevin S. Hudson at KHUD43 says the 1978 Mustang 2 driven by Ego in Marvel Studios mm. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. This was the first car I owned as a teenager back in 1990. Wow, a Stang. I don't remember the model of my first car, but it was a white convertible, like an older car, and it was a piece of crap, but I love that car. Trella at Hacked Harlson says... I would love to have Gamora's accessory, those gorgeous silver rings and badass wristlets, and all of her knives. Yeah, Soul Slayer. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Amy at Smiles A Lot One says, I'd love the little football that Tony and Nebula flicked back and forth in Marvel Studios' Avengers Endgame. Oh, yeah, like the little paper one, right? Yeah. Next up, Ron Foster at Ron BF says, let me get the Thomas the Tank Engine train from the set of Marvel Studios Ant-Man, like the big one or the little one. That's so good. We've got a Facebook message in here from Keith Lyle who says, if I could own any prop, it would definitely have to be the Hot Wheels car collection from Marvel Studios Ant-Man and the Wasp. Ever since I've seen the movie, I've imagined living out one of my childhood dreams of actually driving a Hot Wheels car. But now I just imagine using those cars to beat rush hour traffic. And with Christmas coming up, I could easily find or make myself a decent parking space while going Christmas shopping. <sighs> Keith, I love this answer. Lorraine and I live relatively close to the city. I live in the city and I think about like... I dread going downtown, but I want to go to like Broadway or stuff like that. But it costs so much money to like park and do all this stuff. Mm. If I could just zip, 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 and then put that little car in my pocket, that's the dream. That's the dream. Heck yeah. Mm. All right, we did it. Yay, we did it. What a what a banger of an episode. And then next week, again, it's Spider-Man week. I can't wait. Yeah, 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 yeah. This episode of This Week in Marvel is produced by Zachary Goldberg, Isabel Robertson, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos. Our audio development manager is Brad Barton. And Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And special thanks to Spider Flan, the dessert made entirely of spiders. Spider Flan, eat it. I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. And this is Marvel. Your universe. Goodbye forever. Goodbye forever. I don't know how to stop. Okay, bye.